Welcome, everyone, gentlemen, to the men's show. And they're already laughing at me. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> what is this? Ow! I didn't even say anything. Um, we're going to be talking about some spicy stuff today. So uh, let's just roll that intro. Welcome back to the men's show, gentlemen. Uh, I mean, we're also, uh, ladies can listen to us too, I guess, or watch us. Um, today, we are going to be talking about being a pro-life Catholic, what that really means, and how to do that in the United States. Uh, but first, we got to pay the bills, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to help support things like this, this work, this, this uh, the ministry of Awakened Catholic videos like this one, talking about important things uh, for all of you and for uh, those who are not you. Um, check out the Awakened Nation. It's a group of people who financially support Awakened Catholic, whether on an ongoing monthly basis or a one-time gift. Um, no gift is too small, and you can do it for as cheaply as the price of a cup of coffee a week. Additionally, you can download through our website the Hallow app. It's an incredible prayer resource. Um, I literally use it every single day. Um, in fact, a couple nights ago, the voice of Jesus himself was putting me to sleep because they got the actor that plays Jesus in The Chosen to you know, put you to sleep as a sleep meditation. So check that out for sure. It was wonderful. It's everything you would think it would be. Gentlemen, here we are. Another episode of the very highly demanded show, the men's show. Welcome. Uh, just a real brief introduction, a little snappy thing, just in case it's someone's first time listening. My name is Nick Delatore, president of Awakened Catholic and facilitator of difficult conversations. <laughs> uh, Peter Range, husband, father of three, and director of the Office for Life and Justice for Catholic Charities. John Mark Grodi, uh, husband, father of five, chief operating officer of the Coming Home Network, and co-host with my lovely wife of Elevate Ordinary here on Awaken Catholic. Mike Tenney, Catholic speaker and worship leader, uh, husband and father of two, also host of Pop Culture Catechism here on Awaken Catholic. I'm Father Jeff Walker. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Toledo and the pastor of St. Thomas More University Parish on the campus of Bowling Green State University. Yes, I'm Rob Holler. I am a husband and father of one. Uh, I do not have a show yet on Awakened Catholic. And, uh, We're working on it. I'm a man. <laughs> and if you're curious about what he means by that, what is it to be a man? Check out our last episode where we answered that question. Um, <laughs> I Did we? we you'll have to watch to find out. We, we didn't say something. Also, there's a very important game. If you are uh, watching and A, not at work, or B, not driving, um, unless you are at work and your work allows you to drink, uh, a part of this show is anytime John Mark says a word that most people don't have a clue what it means, we take a drink. Uh, so make sure you have something ready. <laughs> I think that makes you like the Bishop Bob Barron of this group. Really <laughs> start reading the book. Yeah. He, he throws out a little Hebrew yeah, there, yeah. a little gratuitous mm -hmm. French. Or he'll like say a word. Make crap up, and you guys are going to be like, oh, I don't know what that means. He'll also say a word in more than one language, just so you know he knows how. <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, I do love him. I, I'm not disparaging him. I, I think he's fantastic. Um, I think he's so. No, I'm okay, wow. I'm You're the first here. No, no, no. Mr. Mike well, Tenney, Catholic Speaker. No, We're no longer welcome in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. All right, gentlemen, I, um, I have gotten from so many men, uh, from so many people, um, when they discover just how much I care about the most vulnerable, this, and, and I, to, to such an extent that I'm, I've very openly said, I am proudly a one issue voter. The response that I've gotten so often is, why? Well, the answer is because I'm Catholic, and those are people. And scientifically, even if you're not Catholic, those are people. More than 90% of the scientific community agrees. Those are people. Those are human beings. Um, as a Catholic, I cannot stand by and watch people in the numbers that are being killed through abortion I cannot stand by and not care, and I cannot stand by and not say something. And their response is, well, if you're really pro-life, then you'll care about this list of other matters that, you know, the, op the other side of the, the political world believes in or cares more about or whatever. Um, and 
I, I want us today to wrestle. John Mark is dying inside right now. <laughs> I feel like every time I set one of these up, he's like, <laughs> Nick, you're so bad with words. No, I didn't. Um, I want us today to wrestle with... You have the best words, Nick. You just have the best words. Wow, thank you. From you? That's something. Um, I want us today to... Yes, Rob? I'm not saying anything. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I will have my... You'll have your moment. Um, I want us today to wrestle with this question. Can we, with integrity, and why, or why not, be one-issue voters? And if we are... What are the implications of that? But first and foremost, can we, with integrity, be one-issue voters when there are other pro-life causes that are very legitimately life causes? Um, While those exist, can we focus so acutely on the issue of abortion without uh, ignoring unduly the other issues? So, bomb dropped. Let's hear it. Pete? Well, this is actually the, my entire series called The Catholic Vote on Awakened Catholic. Um, no, I'm just kidding. The, actually, uh, just one episode of it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it, it permeates everything we yeah. talk about. Sure. And the church says that there's a mistake when it comes to voting that we make to make abortion just one issue among many, mm-hmm. to say that, you know, it's as equal or as important <clears throat> as some of these other issues. Well, the church doesn't teach that. It says it is the preeminent issue which Catholics need to be concerned about because it takes place within the family, because of how many it affects, you know, nearly a million a year. Um, But the church also says that we make another mistake, and that is to say because we're so focused on that that we don't think about those other issues. Mm -hmm. And as Catholics, we really, to be pro-life, it absolutely begins with the innocent child in the womb, and it needs to start there fundamentally. Um, but it doesn't end there, right? Because we're not only pro-life, but we're pro-eternal life. Ooh. And we're pro, um, the Sister Deed mentioned that uh, the other night at the convention. Um, we're pro-life uh, at every stage of its development. And it's important to put every stage of life in context. So, for example, you know, I've, I'm very passionate about the immigration issue. Um, individuals coming into this country, I mean, they're literally dying to get in here. Because the conditions, if you've ever been to Latin America, I mean, they're, they're awful. If you've ever been to Port-au-Prince, I've been there twice. And to see little kids eating mud pies, like for their like lunches, you understand why people will die to get into the United States, United States of America. Um, but the challenge becomes um, looking at those issues. You know, again, pointing back to Sister D, who worked with refugees herself. She said, you know, the most forgotten group of individuals, though, is the unborn. And so we, we say that the right to life is foundational because unless you claim that a human person has the right to life, they don't have the right to immigrate or to housing or health care. Um, it starts with the right to life. And if you fight for all those other issues, if you say they have a right to health care and education and housing, but you don't believe they have a right to life, you undercut your very argument to say they have any other rights. Um, so it's not that we're one-issue voters and that's all we care about. Yeah. It's just we put them in priority, mm-hmm. first and foremost being the right to life. Yeah. Can I uh, give some numbers? Please, give us some numbers. So um, I, I, I wrote an article a number of years ago called When I Tell You I'm Pro-Life. And similar to, to what you said is that there are many pro-life issues, but there's a reason why abortion is kind of preeminent among them. And so I talked about... Um, you know, the estimates of the total number of deaths during the last Iraq war, there's like 300,000 um, predicted future deaths each year from climate change. If it gets really bad, so some people estimate between 60,000 and 260,000 deaths a year. Um, deaths of migrants crossing the U.S. border since the year 2000, about 6,000 to 7,000. Annual deaths from malnutrition and starvation in the United States, about 1,800. Deaths from capital punishment in the United States since 1976, about 1,400. But abortions in America is more than 2,000 a day, more than 900,000 a year, more than 50 million since Roe v. Wade. More than 900,000 a year? A year. In the United in States? In the United States. That's three yeah. times what it was a few years ago. Well, I think you were throwing around the 300,000 number. Yeah. I think that's Planned Parenthood. Oh, that's specifically that's Planned not, Parenthood. Who has the plurality, but there's many more abortion clinics. Than Interesting. And so. on top of that, those numbers don't even include California, which doesn't report their numbers to the CDC. And we know California tends to lean a little bit more liberal. I mean, they, they're now allowed the abortion pill on college campuses in the, the college campus medical center. So um, clearly those numbers, I think, are even lower than what the numbers actually are. Wow. So we are literally facing, I mean, it's 42 million worldwide every single year. 
there's 130 million girls who aren't here in China because of their one-child policy. Um, I mean, the amount of life that, that have been, has been snuffed from the, the planet, it's unimaginable. And if you put it in the context from a spiritual perspective, if each and every one of us bear the image and likeness of God, every single one of us, like the devil has found his perfect victim, the victim that has no voice, no one to, to advocate. He can't advocate for his own life, right? Um, and as St. Mother Teresa said, if a mother can kill her own child, what is to keep me from killing you? Right. I mean, we talked about in episode one about relationship and what does it mean to be a man? Um, you know, we talked about it's first and fundamentally about relationship. Well, the core relationship of humanity is mom and baby. It's dad and baby. And we've disrupted that very relationship. We've, we've, in fact, we've destroyed it by destroying human life. And that's why it's so detrimental because it attacks the family itself. So I think when it comes to this topic, and we're, we're, this is a, a, of everything right now, for people who, who understand the personhood of the person from conception, this is the topic. I mean, there's no topic more important right now because of the millions of lives per year globally. Was it 49 million per year? 42 million. 42 million per year people are being killed. Um, and by and large, the people who are doing that, the, the mothers who are entering that situation, it's obviously the worst thing that they would ever have to do. We, we would hope that they feel that way um, rather than being excited to do it um, because there's something terribly sinister about being excited about something like that. But, it, you know, it, we, I hope we at least hope that it's it's a gut wrenching decision to have to make. Um, those are people that are struggling. I want us to do something for a second because it's unfair in any debate to just straw man the other person's uh, perspective. I want us for a second from a, from a stance of empathy to really think about the position of someone who who is supporting the choice of the woman, and I want us to instead instead of straw manning that, I want us to try to steel man or, or iron man that perspective, and and address that head on realistically. Because realistically, not only is the baby in the mother's womb a person, the mother is a person, and she's going through something <clears throat> terrible. You know, obviously there are a ton of different circumstances. Like we've been learning a lot in recent years about the way that the pornography industry is leading to human trafficking and how there are these really dark and sinister relationships between relationships between human trafficking and Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics. There is some really screwed up stuff going on, but then there's also the pain of, of the women who might not be going through the human trafficking, who are just making a decision based on lies that they have been told. Like you have a choice between your career and a baby. Like th these are false so I just want to talk about um, Iron Manning, the ideas that are being posited right now that are counter to what we consider to be the pro-life cause. Well, you enter into this, you know, first of all, with a presupposition when you use the term personhood. Mm. The pro problem is when you even to, to say that, you know, the reason abortion is wrong is because these are people, is you're presupposing this notion of personhood and you're presupposing that this being uh, attains or has that quality. And even when you, you brought up science earlier... That's that's sticky. That's complicated because science can't establish a non-scientific, a non-material truth. Yeah. yeah. What I meant to say there was that they were human. Right. Which is never. I mean, I don't think that's largely argued. Right. Whether or not they're human. Well, right. But it's, it's whether or not they're a person. Yes, which exactly. Is, which is a philosophical, not theological science's concept. place to say. And so, of course, we've entered into this, you know, assuming that that, that personhood. We believe in that that personhood as a as a quality. And then we believe it, it uh, is a quality that's inherent in, in all these groups of people, you know, but wh where do you get off in believing in personhood? Like, you have to steel man that argument itself. Like, where do we get this notion of personhood and how do we, I, I can't stay on that side for very long. How do we talk to someone who, uh, who doesn't have a notion of that personhood? Um, it's so interesting because that idea of personhood is exactly what has been subtracted from groups of individuals when yes. we wanted to oppress them. Yeah. So the German Supreme Court ruled that Jew Jews were not persons in line of the law. Uh, American Law Review, George Canfield, said that Indians are not persons. Mm -hmm. English Common Law said that women were not persons in matters of pains and penalties. So, so Three-fifths compromise. Three-fifths compromise, yeah. Right. So you can go through the list throughout history whenever we want to take rights from groups of individuals. 
we immediately attack them as non-persons. Have you ever had which makes to tell it, about the Rwandan genocide? No. So like the, I forget, it's the Hutus and the Tutsis, and I forget which was the dominant yeah. uh, ethnic group that was that was committing genocide on the other, but they would call yeah. them cockroaches. Mm, like, yeah. There's always some level yeah. of, of dehumanization. But sorry, right. I interrupted right. you. Yeah. No, that's good. I was done. I was... <clears throat> Yeah. Um, what, what I often find, because people just say, ah, you're forced into religious views. And so what I go to is the Declaration of Independence. And I say, there's, there's two premises you can go to, that the pro-life position is just based on two premises. One, that human, a new human life begins at conception. And scientifically, that's pretty easy to show. You have a sperm that has the father's DNA. You have an egg that has the mother's DNA. And if you give it the necessities of life... It stays a sperm and an egg. Necessities in life are habitat and nutrients. And you give you give a living thing habitat and nutrients and enough time, it grows to adulthood. You give a sperm habitat and nutrients, it stays a sperm. You give an egg nutrients and habitat, it stays an egg. But once conception has happened, you give that fertilized egg, that new human being. It's got its own DNA. It's got its own blood type and gender. And and, and if you give it a, a healthy habitat and nutrients, it grows to adulthood. So by scientific definition, it is now a new human organism. Is it has human DNA? So you can't if, if you don't think that conception is the beginning of a new human life, you're, you're just not using scientific definitions. Now, now, um, the other premise is, is personhood. So I always go to the Declaration of Independence that, you know, humans are endowed by their creator with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yeah, I would say, well, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe in the inalienable right to life, then I would say philosophically, you're not an American. You don't believe in the American ideal. And how can you make any, Whoa. how can you make any claim about it's wrong to oppress any of these other groups, any of these other pro-life issues, what legs do you have to stand on to claim that they even have rights if you're throwing the Declaration of Independence out the window? So um, you're just you're just ignoring a population. It's not consistent. Yeah, it's not consistent. So, so I think the, the pro-choice argument has really moved to this space of autonomy, mm-hmm. you know, autonomy over one's body. And I think that's what's kept it so strong and attractive to so many people because that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That I do not want the government or somebody else telling me what I'm supposed to do with my my body. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that, you know, on the pro-life side, well, there's two bodies, you know, in place here. Um, and that, um, you know, that's that's an important part of the argument. But to, to steal man, if I'm doing that correctly, is to say, well, it's my body. It's my choice. And that's what I hear more often than anything else now. It's well, like the violinist argument mm-hmm. where it's like, let's say you woke up yeah. and you were hooked up to a violinist. And if they disconnect, it's like this, yeah. this annoying violinist that's playing terrible violin music, but you're hooked up to them and your blood is keeping yeah. them alive. Like, wouldn't you have a right to disconnect yourself from this violinist who didn't yeah. choose to, to be connected to? That's mm-hmm. that's like a famous pro-choice argument and it's like yes it's a human yes you'd be killing the person but you have no obligation to 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 help them it's and it's there they'll, they'll talk about organ organ donors they'll say you if you're an organ organ donor you have to sign a consent nobody has a right to your organs even if it would save their life and so women have less rights than a dead body because even a dead body has a right to keep its organs but this woman doesn't have a right to keep control over her own organs that's the that's the pro-choice argument it's well put yeah and oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, the, the next argument then would be kind of a quality of life argument, right? That, um, you know, there's, and I hear this a lot, that there's hundreds of thousands of kids that need a good home, foster care. You're just adding to the system. This kid might grow up poor or might be mentally challenged. All these things that try to demean the human experience to say, boy, that life there, that's really not worth living. And um, it, it can be difficult because there are like life is tough and there is especially in our culture a desire to move away from any type of pain and to reject any type of pain reject death itself to a certain extent and so there is a very emotional draw to this like yeah gosh we don't want more kids you know without a place to eat or we don't want more kids who are going to end up abused nobody wants that but that's part of the draw of their argument is this appeal to emotion. That's right. What's the original question? I don't remember. Well, we're, I, right now I'm asking us to <laughs> take a really honest look at what is behind in as concrete a way as possible, even though I think everyone around this room understands the, all the reasons in which they are not really concrete arguments. But what is there in their arguments that we can highlight that is like we get it. We understand where you're coming from. 
So you're saying specifically pro-choice people. Exactly right. You know, I think another layer, and this goes off what you were, the example you were bringing up, uh, Mike. So the, this example of do I have an obligation to this theoretical violinist that I'm hooked up to? You know, in the case of a mother and her child, it's obviously a different situation. You know, um, I mean, even in that example, there's some obligation to another person to help save their life. In the situation of a mother and child, there, the argument might be there's an obligation because, well, you helped bring this child into existence. You did make a choice. You didn't, you didn't just wake up and find this child. You know, you did something that came. Now, then, of course, the next uh, argument is, well, what about in cases of rape? We'll leave those aside for a moment. You know, like most cases of a child being conceived are not that. So we leave that aside. We can deal with less than 1%. Right. What about the rest of those cases? And the implication, it seems like in those other cases, is that people can't really be expected to not have sex. Because that would be our implication is that, well, no, but, but you make a choice. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you, have, you have a choice whether or not to engage in the act that brings about a new human life. Mm-hmm. And the implication that's not usually stated is that yeah, people really can't be expected to do that. Teenagers can't be expected to do that. College students can't be expected to actually control themselves so that they really aren't culpable. They really didn't. They're not obligated because they couldn't control themselves. That is I'm really being struck, stricken right now by what you just said. I, I just, it just, this just now hit me. I've never thought about it this way. This idea of empowerment and a woman's right and empowerment to have um, self dominion, dominion of her body and, and her body parts. Um, excuse me, but I'm sorry, like dominion and empowerment, dominion over yourself and empowerment. Like, are you saying that you don't have enough dominion over yourself to control whether or not you're having sex? That's the impl- it seems like that's the implication. Well, I think there's some that implication, but the other part of the argument, I've had people say this to me several times, is that consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy. That's what they would say. And now, I've, <laughs> I've, if people are really taught that's that, only mm-hmm. after yeah. uh, contraception, after abortion. But people people feel that way. They're really taught that. They're raised that you know. Yeah. They're really put in a situation where you know sex and pregnancy are not. They don't go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. They're not connected. Mm-hmm. You know they're. It's, it's really what is touted by cult, our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a great challenge for people to have an understanding or to look at an issue, you know, this way when they, they don't make that connection. Yeah. When sex and pregnancy are not intricately connected, mm-hmm. you don't have a great way to make this connection and conversation, yeah. a great way to communicate, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that's the problem with this, this notion of, uh, we shouldn't be trying to make abortion illegal. We should be trying to lessen the reasons that people get abortions. And one of the implications that Pete, I've learned from you so many times is this idea that we are setting a standard for what is considered acceptable through our laws. Mm-hmm. And when we're telling people in our laws, have all the sex you want, you can just kill your baby. When our laws are saying that we should expect that people are going to think that way. Yeah, yes, that's, that's often called demand, the demand side approach to uh, abortion and the supply side uh, approach to abortion. So the, the demand side would be reduce the demand. Yeah. So provide social, yeah. social services or charities, depending on whether you're more left leaning or, or right leaning yeah. um, and persuasion. Try to get people to have fewer abortions. Not neither but, or. But yeah, and I, that's the thing is people always accuse pro-life people that says, well, you can't just change the laws and change everybody's minds. Nobody thinks that. Nobody right. thinks you can flip a switch yep. and change the laws, but you need to change the laws. It's mm-hmm. a insufficient but necessary step. You know what that makes me think of is the Wild West. I think about the different standards for what was acceptable behavior in the Wild West. Everyone walking around with a gun. Everyone, if they got upset, let's have a, a draw, you know, and we'll count off and flip around and shoot each other, whoever, like, like that was, there, there was, there was a lot less of a, of a, there were, there were no police. Like there was maybe a sheriff in town, but like you could almost, I mean, it was, that, there's a reason we use the term that, Oh, it's like the wild West there is like, because there's, there's no law. Right. Like, and, and in a similar way that like murder is, which is what that was, was more acceptable then. Cause it wasn't as legally uh, restricted as it is now. Yeah. And so the implication, if we're following, that logic, why don't we do that with all of our laws? Why don't we just say there are no laws and let's just create a utopia where nobody wants to do anything morally wrong? If we do still have um, any pro-choice folks who are watching us <laughs> try to make, try to steal their argument, I think by now they're saying, 
Well, these men don't have any standing to speak on this anyway. So I think for, talk about that. I think yeah. if we're going to have a discussion about this going forward, we have to acknowledge that argument as well. Mansplaining. Um, that we are mansplaining. That. <laughs> 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 um, no, but that's that's that is an argument that comes from uh, the yeah. pro-choice side mm-hmm. is that unless you personally have experienced mm-hmm. this or have experienced a similar situation mm-hmm. that you don't really have standing to speak on this anyway. So yeah. sit down and shut up and pick a new topic. Interesting. And that's usually the effect when that argument is made. Yeah. But that destroys, if you take that to its logical conclusion, that destroys all possibility of human discourse about morality. Mm. Because no, I don't know what it's like to be Nick Delatory or Pete Range. Like, no one has experienced what, exactly what you've experienced. But we, we understand the categories, mm-hmm. and we're able to make these abstractions and discuss whether something is right or wrong. And so if you, that argument means... There can be no discussion. There can be no... Yeah, if you don't exactly relate to another person, like one woman's experience and another woman's experience, how can they tell each other? I think there is some value to having somebody who has had an experience speak to something. I think you can, they can communicate compassion, but it doesn't, if you don't have that, it doesn't invalidate your experience. But what I often say is that I do have that experience. I haven't been a pregnant woman, but I was an unborn child. Ooh. So, so everyone in this room was an unborn child, and if we were born after 1972, 73, forget exactly the year of Roe v. Wade, then our mother could have legally had us killed, dismembered, burned with acid, yeah. and that would have been her choice. That was her constitutional right under Roe v. Wade. Right. Yeah, we, we all know what it is like to be a person, a human person, and we feel the injustice if someone threatens our life. We feel the rightness of that right that I have a right to my life and no one has the right to take it away. We all have that experience. And so we're able to look at another situation and say, all the feelings aside, in that situation, there is a person and they too have that right to life. And I think, you know, we share in the creation of the child too. That's that's part of us, right? Their their DNA is made up of, of us as well. So that's another reason we have say, you know, there's so many different avenues you can go with this. I think it's important to remember that all civil law should be based upon the natural law, and all natural law is based upon the divine law. Okay, so um, when we're having uh, arguments about what should be legal or what should not be legal, we're really ultimately having arguments about who we think God is and the nature of God and how He established oh my gosh. as well. And so it goes good. back to our first question about well, what is man? What is the purpose of being human, and so on and so forth? So, um, well, and it gets back to the original sin. It gets back to the choice of. I'm going to be the one who decides what's good and what's evil, right? I mean, a lot of scholars have interpreted this this tree of the knowledge of good and evil as being like us taking upon ourselves rather than adhering to God's uh, ideal of right and wrong. We're going to be the ones to we're going to be the arbiters of what is right and wrong now, and and that's essentially the dichotomy you're describing. Yeah, right. And the first generational manifestation of that sin is murder. Right. <laughs> How quickly this escalates Can to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That I decide what's right and wrong also means I get to decide who lives and who dies. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof, I have goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about use the word. I don't know. Is this episode the other episode we talked about teleology? Yes. Everybody. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so, so tell us the Greek word for the end, the purpose of a thing. And when you hear uh, I was saying before, I've heard pro-choice people say consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy. And I think that's because our modern world comes out of the enlightenment is lost the idea of teleology of purpose. Mm -hmm. Like it's just incidental that sex happens to produce Mm -hmm. children or they define sex in such a way that sex could also mean oral sex. Sex could also mean Mm -hmm. uh, other types of reaching climax or not reaching climax. Like it's, it becomes so, nebulous yeah. that well, it's disconnected and part of that nebulous nature is is because you hear uh, couples or, or at least sexual partners who are you know same sex right a man and a man and a woman and a woman they cannot technically have sex they cannot have sexual intercourse they can like engage in sexual activity like whether it's different forms of foreplay but they cannot like 
really anything is going to, anything they can try to do is not going to be the sexual intercourse of a man and a woman. Can I go back to climax just for a second? Yeah. And then you put a wait. What? Oh gosh! Another parental warning. Because this is really important, though. We're going to have to put the parental advisor in the whole website. Okay. Because when we're talking about you know the meaning and purpose of sex, okay, it's telios. Like the the act itself, the climax itself is it points to the very nature and purpose and meaning of sex. So we all know that the man's ejaculation, the seed then goes to try to find the egg, right? Well, even in the woman's orgasm or climax, um, she is vibrating in such a way that that is bringing her pleasure. But that vibration that's happening in her body is actually it's a lapping motion to catch the semen to take it to its seed. So, like, the very act of the woman partaking in the sex, the very act of the man partaking in the sex, which brings the moment of pleasure, which we see on TV, and they're just like, oh, it's just about having a good time. Like, that directly points to whether or not the, the couple's fertile or not, that directly points to the life creation moment. That's the way God designed our very bodies. The climax is meant to point towards, I want to make a baby in this very moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the more that we learn about science, the more we learn about the body, the more we're like... Wow, there is an end and purpose of all things that God has created. What the 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 response that I I hear to that because I've made that same argument is they would say, well, then we can change that because we're a master. Like Mm -hmm. just because it is that way in in nature, and just because God, if they believe in God, they would say, well, that's not what I mean by sex, and I'm free to mean what I want. And so the response that I often have is that creating a child and killing it is too high a price to pay for sexual freedom mm-hmm. for that lever of sexual freedom that freedom is not an absolute right that you don't have the freedom of you don't have freedom of speech to say things that are going to get someone killed like hey walk through that door when there's water on the floor with electricity going through it that's going to kill you you don't have the right to that freedom of speech yeah. and so there are limits on freedom even sexual freedom if it's going to result in the creation of a life that then you're just going to kill you know, okay. No, you go. Well, I would say this gets back a little bit to the, the original question as phrased about the single issue of voting and justice and all that. You know, we're talking externally about wanting to bring about justice out there in society, but justice is all, also a virtue. And uh, part of the virtue of justice is precisely recognizing that there is a, a plurality of goods, but they have to be hierarchicalized. hierarchicalized. Made, put into a hierarchy. It's to be done. <laughs> Drinking <laughs> them. You know, part of I'm these discussions sure is a word. <laughs> it's also important for the viewers to know uh, Pete is not drinking straight vodka. That's just water. water. I also got water. You'll <laughs> never, you'll never really know. But a lot of times these discussions are precisely derailed because there's this either or approach to, you know, yeah. this is good and that's good and that's good. But their approach is either this or that. No, we all recognize there's tons of goods involved here. There's tons of important issues involved. But growing for, for a society to grow in the injustice and but as well for a, an individual to grow in the virtue of justice, it involves searching out and, and growing in that hierarchy of goods putting first things first and second things second. Yeah. But it doesn't make the second things last. No. That's one of the right. things yeah. we're constantly faced with in our nature totally. is that, you know, you have, if you're this, then you're not that. Right. You know what I mean? We're an either or. Mm-hmm. And that that whole dichotomy just puts you in a terrible position. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, it's got to be bold. And that's what our choice to vote does. It kind of puts us in, we have to yeah. decide that way. Which is kind of a flaw in our which is, yeah, which is like, you know, sucks. <laughs> Another interesting thing about about uh, the disconnection of of the generation of life from the sexual act is um, there is this this uh, uh, mentality that is is rampant and is 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 only partially missing the mark, which is that sex is like this great thing. To strive for, I, I had a, a bit of a, a disagreement with someone um, that I care about a lot, where they were saying, "Like, man, the ultimate experience of, of, for a human being on Earth is to have sex, and like, why would we ever take that away from someone or whatever?" And it's like, in as much as as sexual intercourse between husband and wife is an expression uh, uh, that that emulates the love of the Trinity and 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 God's love, Christ's love on the cross for the Church, um, and, and like, if all in all of those kind of theological ways that that. Sex like points to that sure 
but it was never like the way that it was given to us as a gift. Part of that is the generation of life. When Christ died on the cross, it brought eternal life to us. And, and, and we wouldn't have had that otherwise. And, and sex by design results in the generation of life in the ideal, in, in a non-broken universe that we didn't screw up through our falling sex brings life. And even even if it's not generating uh, biological, like a new human being, because obviously there's a whole swath of like different scenarios that like couples that struggle with fertility or whatever, um, it still brings life to that couple when it's totally open to God and the gift of life. Um, but that is where they're missing the mark is that, yes, it's this incredible thing to aim at. It's this incredible thing to strive for. And, and, and that is it's a beautiful expression of human passion. Yeah. But with not without, like you can't just take out part of it, right? Mm-hmm. It has multiple purposes, yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, the, the the generative is one of them, but there's also more to that, and and the other part of its purposes is also communion and and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, what is love? Love doesn't just it's not just a label we attach to anything we like. I mean, there's something real there that, that sex points to in relationship and communion. Mm-hmm. Well, connecting it back to the crosses, you just were, you know. And I love, I think it's Father Frank Pavone who said this, but, you know, Jesus on the cross says, this is my body given up for you. And when you give up your body, life comes from that. The pro-choice argument movement today, this is my body. You know, I'm going to take the life from the child. Um, So you really have a spiritual battle going on here at the end of the day um, that, you know, we need to address as church that, yes, it is a legal battle. And that's, and, and law has a, uh, a way of functioning the way that we think about things in society. So we outlaw segregation, for example, because that affects the way that people think about other peoples of other races. Um, so in the same way, law helps govern our ways of thinking and behaving. So law is very important. Um, the practical help that we can provide women, really important. Um, but if we don't address this from a foundational level, a spiritual level, and a family level, um, then we're going to be missing the boat. Because we need, in particular, we need men today to step up and live out their roles as fathers. And what happened with the sexual revolution, someone mentioned that earlier. Jonathan last wrote a book called What to Expect When No One is Expecting. And he said there used to be an iron triangle that linked sex, marriage, and baby making. But with the proliferation of contraception, we've destroyed that triangle. That you can have sex outside of marriage, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, you can uh, be married and then have affairs and then not have to worry about getting pregnant because, you know, you can contracept all those things. So I think we can't gloss over how much contraception has impacted the way we think about sex, mm-hmm. about family and uh, about life. And John Paul II said, you know, this is these are fruits of the same tree because we accepted contraception. Actually, the reason we have abortion laws in 1973 is because first we legalized contraception Mm -hmm. with the Supreme Court. And that paved the way to this understanding of right to privacy, which Mm -hmm. now gave us Roe v. Wade. So and that has extended all the way. Last thing I'll say to the 1992 Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision where Justice Anthony Kennedy kept taking this right of privacy so far that he said that we are so free that at the heart of liberty is to determine the purpose of the meaning of our own existence, the meaning of the cosmos. We have that right. So the the creation has become now creator. Mm -hmm. um, And it goes back to that original sin. We think we're God. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that, that ties in directly to the sexual act, too, because um, the other piece that we're missing, uh, in, in, that, that the society is missing, other than the openness to life and the openness to that part of the equation, which is like, it's just so, so much a part of it, unless we're contracepting it, unless we're intervening. Um, the other part of that is the submission of the self for the other, like the, the self gift, like Christ on the cross, he gave his entire self in that moment for us and in the sexual act, both the man and the woman are meant to be offering themselves as as a gift in their entirety, not only to their spouse, but to God and and the openness to God's will being done in that moment. And so it, it, it directly connects to the original sin, which is like, will be the gods will be in charge. I'm not in my, in this moment, um, that in so many ways, like we were just talking about, like, it really is like this, this climactic, uh, uh, you know, human experience, we're going to be in control. I think well, three of you wanted to talk about what's okay, wrong. I'm, I'm yeah, going to take this off topic. So you, you go, no, I don't want to steer us away. You guys have something relevant to say. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, okay. I'll make you it so polite. You, you brought up, you know, again, the, the part of the sexual act being, being uh, giving of yourself to, to the other, you know, a, a death to self, a, a giving of oneself in love. That's true both in the sexual act, but also in the decision to refrain from the sexual act Ooh. for the good of the other. You know, because we're not married, because we can't take care of a child yet, because you're not healthy, and and we and maybe it's it's dangerous for you to get pregnant right now. Yeah, and this is what the church teaches NFP. That there's sometimes there's reasons. You you say, you know what? We'd love to have sex right now because it feels so good. But for your good, for the good of our family, mm-hmm. this is I, I'm going to say no, and that too is an act of love. Mm-hmm. Right, like a lot of the defenses for. Uh, abortion being legal really those are defenses for like maybe don't have sex for a second like just hey hang on <laughs> wait most of us have spent a good portion of our life not doing that i mean it is possible we're not having sex right now whoa whoa <laughs> you <laughs> always know just what to say <laughs> you always have just the right words that's right actually the only reason i'm a part of this yeah. uh, let's go back for just a second though. please I think it's important this moment. <laughs> yeah. um, you know first on that realm of not having sex like mm-hmm. we we recognize that that's really hard. Like we're made mm-hmm. to make love. We're made to like come together in union. And I know in my own personal life that I would, I've made mistakes before I was married that I take back. I could have been in one of those circumstances where the woman felt like she needed to have an abortion. Yeah. And my God, what, what would I have done in that circumstance? You know? So to recognize that what we're asking of people when we're saying safe sex for marriage isn't necessarily easy, especially in a culture which is saturated mm-hmm. with sexualization of more younger and younger people. So that's one thing. The second thing is, you know, I want to emphasize again what Father Jeff was saying, you know, starting to show that we're all men. Um, I just want to mention that if there's a woman who's watching this who has had an abortion, like our Project Rachel Ministry in the Diocese yeah. of Toledo is here for you. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not here to, to judge your soul. And we believe that there is no sin so deep that God's love is not deeper still that if you've had an abortion, God loves you. Amen. Like, period. Like, Amen. God loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to bring you into his wholeness and his fullness. Once again, I've had personal friends who've had abortions. This really does hurt people. And most of the women that I encounter, you know, they're not at the abortion facility. There are there are some women. We've seen the TikTok videos and elsewhere where oh, yeah. they're bragging about their abortions. But the majority of women in this situation are they, they're in that situation because they feel they have no other choice. Mm-hmm. They're either being pressured by their boyfriend, the boyfriend's no longer even in the picture. And so we acknowledge that, gosh, this is really difficult. And that's where we as a society need to come in and, you know, help our men, you know, be men and be fathers and step up and, and lead in relationships so that we don't find ourselves or finding these relationships in places where they feel like they have no choice. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to talking about sex and the purpose and meaning of sex. Yeah. But then also saying, look, we demand as a society, as a culture, that men have to pay child support. And well, we should. But if men should have to pay child support, they should also have a say in what happens to that child before birth as well. And so there's which is a, a, the Which is like, yes, um, because uh, we've obviously heard uh, stories of, of the men who are devastated by the choice of their partner, and if they could if they could stop them, they would, but they have no legal right to. But then there's also the scenarios, which is devastating, of the men who drive their woman to the abortion clinic with an expectation that they walk into that building and get get the procedure, and they just wait in the car having McDonald's. Mm-hmm. You and I have both seen that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, I'm leaving you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The pressure from the man uh, to do the, the abortion like that is that is so sad. And so, again, this is this is miss. Uh, this is spun to be uh, an issue of empowerment for women, that this choice is an empowerment when in the end, what 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 our cultural situation says is that men and women both can't. Uh, not have sex. They don't have the control over that. They don't actually have empowerment or, or dominion over themselves. And that you have to, um, you have to cave to this pressure. Um, if you want love, you have to, you have to give into this. That's or a career. Yeah. Yeah. Pete, when you first became the director of uh, life and justice, uh, I remember uh, one of the first things you started talking about was chastity. And my initial reaction to that was, does Pete know what job he has? Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm all for it, but it took me a second. My initial reaction wasn't to make that connection mm-hmm. with life and justice and chastity. Um, but upon reflection, and you don't need much reflection, 
um, as our conversation today has shown, you can see how all of these things are connected. Our idea of chastity and sex and marriage um, and economics and the relationship between man and woman and personal responsibility and freedom are all connected mm-hmm. and and that this this whole are all pro-life issues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We've sort of seen in this conversation how all of those things are pro-life issues. And so I can't help but think, so why is it that we are focused so much on abortion because there are so many issues. So you have to sort of triage. Mm. You have to start with um, Pope Francis said the church is supposed to be a a field hospital. Mm -hmm. So you take what is the most pressing issue. They're all important issues Mm -hmm. and they can be separated from another one another. But who's dying right now? That's what, that's what the triage nurse decides. Mm -hmm. That's what, um, the medics in the field hospital have to assess. And that doesn't mean that all of these other diseases and ailments and things aren't an issue. Yeah. But you have to look at who's dying right now. I think one of the things, taking back to your original question, being a single issue voter, you know, I think there's a very big difference between being a single issue voter and judging, you know, what's primordial, what's most important, right. where's the triage, you know, but that's, you know, it's very important to, in my mind, at least, what do I know? But there's not a distinction between like these issues aren't important. You know, this is the only issue. But but to make a judgment, I think everyone has a right to make a prudential judgment, say what's primordial. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly there's a lot of evidence and reason in this country to look at abortion as that issue. Yeah. But that's not saying I'm you know, I have the blinders on. I'm not looking. I don't care about I think that's what a lot of other people hear and see when you say, I'm a single issue voter. Right. Especially in such a broken political system where we basically only have two choices, or at least that's what we're told. It's like all we can do is the best we can do. Can I throw a case study out? Please. So a Catholic man who's very close to me has degrees in theology, like prayerful, sacramental, uh, just awesome, one of the best people and better than me in a lot of other ways. I remember talking to him during, I think it was the 2008 election, uh, George W. Bush had just been president for eight years, and he was talking to me and saying he was going to vote for Barack Obama because he had voted for Republicans twice at that point, and in terms of the abortion issue, the only thing that had happened was the ban on partial birth abortion, which outlawed one procedure, but there were still other late-term abortion procedures that could be used. So there was no net effect on the number of abortions happening in America. So we said, I just voted for Republicans twice because of pro-life issue, because of abortion, and they didn't do anything. But you know what they did do is they invaded Iraq and Afghanistan, and now there's 300,000 people dead over there. So I'm not going to vote for them again because they didn't do anything on the pro-life issue, but they did do something negative on this other life issue, this unjust war, uh, you know, and it's considered unjust by both John Paul II and Pope Benedict both talked about it. So, um, I'm curious for the group. Yeah. yeah. Not not necessarily. Do you agree with him? Right. But do you think that is a well discerned conscience? Like, can you respect his? Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's yeah. a perfect yeah. example of steel manning this approach, this this mentality, because it is so understandable. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. It is frustrating to me. You're. Not year after year, four year after four year to vote pro life, vote for the right, and I'm going to be honest, I have. And, and it just feel like, is this ever going to happen? Like, are we ever going to win? How many times we've been at the abortion clinic, right? How many times we've led prayer vigils and like all this stuff. It's like, you know, the, the Toledo, because uh, we're in Northwest Ohio, the, the Toledo, uh, what was the, the thing that happened recently where uh, ProMedica came in, swooped in at the last second to save the final abortion clinic. And, and it's like, we were so close. And it's, it's like, we are in a system that wants us to keep voting the way we're voting and is it working? And, and should we keep voting the same way? But sorry, yeah. Rob, go on. I just, I just think it's a fair question. Like yeah. everyone needs a place to discern. Yeah. You know, I guess I don't want to be alone on this or seem like, you know, the outside guy. But, you know, I think there's there's reasons to look at the political you know, system we have and to do your best to make a prudential judgment to say what will advance, you know, maybe you call it a you know, a pro-life ethic, the best, mm-hmm. you know, and I've heard lots of say, this is the party, this is the party. Um, culture of life. Yeah. 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 Culture of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think ultimately a lot of people, some people wrestle with the comment of what's, you know, what are we, what is the common good? 
I think that's a word that's awesome, often misused, mm-hmm. you know, common good. And, um, you know, I judging the issues and saying what's primordial, what's most important. And this is what I believe will advance the common good. And certainly abortion being very important in that. You know, I think we need to leave a place for people yeah. to really discern, to wrestle with, you know, and to choose. But the church has come out, though, and said definitively, like, the abortion is the preeminent issue. So people— well, What does that mean? Yeah, so what does not, that mean? I'm not— Hold on, I wait. primordial. But wait, what does it mean yeah. that, that the church has come out? What, what do, when you say the church has come out and said this is the—what does that mean definitively that the church has defined that? Like, what did that look like when the church did that? Um, that the church, when approaching these issues, when you got all, all these issues affecting life, that when you uh, create a hierarchy of issues to be concerned about, mm-hmm. abortion is the preeminent issue. It's the first issue that you need to be concerned about. It's not telling you that you need to then vote for X candidate, that's, yes, but it is disqualifying candidates who are completely pro-abortion or supporting abortion. You know, you have candidates out there that support abortion through all nine months, mm-hmm. even extending itself now towards infanticide. And to your friend's point, you know, before, Michael, there, there's so many things that take place within the government that is glossed over that people say, well, nothing really happened. Well, I'll tell you one thing that happened during the George W. Bush administration. They um, reversed the Mexico City policy so that none of our taxpayer dollars funded millions of abortions around the globe. Mm -hmm. So it may have not impacted here as much as we would have liked, but there's also hundreds of federal judges that each president appoints every four years that has a tremendous impact on how laws are interpreted or understood, especially on life issues. So we can't just gloss over those and say, well, abortion wasn't changed. Uh, we made progress, and progress is sometimes all we can get sometimes. And it does represent to, people. It represents lives that are being saved in that progress. Can, yeah. can we isolate the theoretical point here, you know, aside from the situations? And the, the theoretical point being we can affirm that as a matter of justice— you know, abortion is high up there on, on the list because it deals with people actually losing their lives. Yeah. And so, like, that has to be put in its proper hierarchy of justice. Now, how that exactly translates into voting or voting for this person, that person, that's a, really a separate issue because voting is complicated. Politics are complicated. Government's complicated. Yeah. You know, what does a vote for this person mean? Mm-hmm. Does this person yeah. say they're pro-life? Does that mean anything? Yeah. Those are all separate questions. But the point is, the, the preeminent point is still, still that we affirm with the church that it's a preeminent yeah. issue. It's the preeminent issue yeah. because it's such a grave injustice. Yeah. And an important point, too, to make is that I don't. So a lot of people will use that argument and say, well, during the Obama administration, abortions actually went down. Mm-hmm. And so I support, you know, his administration because it decreased abortions. Our goal is not to decrease abortions. It's to abolish abortion. It's not like, oh, lesser abortions, that's better. Right. No, it's like no abortions are good. This is an intrinsic evil, meaning it is always, always wrong. Um, so I don't think, and you know, again, coming from my perspective, that when we look at these issues, we can prudentially decide, you know, I'm really passionate about uh, capital punishment ending that. Look, I am against capital punishment um, 100%. Um, but to equate the two, is is not what the church teaches. We can't say they're both equal issues yeah. on the life spectrum. Yeah, there's more abortions every day than there have been executions the last thirty years. Right. So, yeah. so, so by no, we say, and I'm just like, call me devil's advocate here. I'm. Yeah. Um, call you but I, by no equivocation, <laughs> Simon. Jake, word. there we go. Not a word. Word. It's not a word. Equivocation. That's a word. That's a word. That's it's a word. It's a word. That's a really word. Another drink. Do you think you just made that word up? By not calling issues equivalent, like, it, is there any room? This is just a question. Is there any room for someone to say, I don't believe any political party will make any progress on this issue? And therefore, I will judge the whole of the situation and vote, you know, what I feel is best. Right. Even so, though this issue's yeah. that's what I hear a so lot. Since the a lot of people are there. Yeah, so the, the argument goes, since the Republicans won't make any meaningful yeah. difference. But since the they're toying with us. But the Democrats would make a meaningful difference in maybe some other issues. Some areas. other issue. Maybe this Republican yeah. is just saying pro-life to, to pander to their base. Exactly. This Democrat is just saying their pro-choice to pander to their base. Which has very acutely been the criticism of President Trump. Mm-hmm. He's pandering. Now, arguably, he's been one of the most pro-life presidents we've seen. But then what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. One of the most anti-abortion. That's a better statement. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really curious, um, and and I'm going to put you on the hot seat here, Father Jeff. Uh, I'm curious uh, about the following. uh, How do do I say this? Um, There have been probably, uh, you could count on one hand, 
the number of specific instances of Holocaust historically that everybody kind of knows about. So the, 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 the first and foremost of those being the Holocaust, right? Like Nazi Germany, um, the Jews, even Catholics, um, being, uh, killed, being, uh, kind of, uh, yeah, exterminated. exterminated thank you. Um, by millions, but but more specifically, something in the ballpark of six to seven million. What was the number? It was something like six to seven million people, as I remember it. Um, in terms of, of of understanding, like if you were in Nazi Germany or in one of the surrounding areas, Austria, whatever, who was who was being encamped by by the Nazis, and you know you're a preacher, if you're in one of those areas, one of those regions that, that it's like, this is a serious issue and I need my community to know what is right and wrong. And now we're in a situation where we're talking about how many million every single year, globally over uh, 40, 43 million people uh, that are being killed, exterminated, whatever, um, every single year. And then on our soil, just shy of a million people every single year. And I'm curious, like, what is, how as a pastor and in, 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 in the conversations you've had with your brother priests, like, what is the role of our leadership spiritually? What are the struggles that you've had internally when there's this expectation that you not be overly direct about the way in which you address it, but we also have to address one of the greatest evils that our planet has ever seen? Well, I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Absolutely. So uh, two things I think are important. Um, one, that indirectly addressing this is no less valuable than directly in this sense. Um, so I remember before, I think, I think I was a seminarian. Um, I might've, uh, it might've been before that, just when I was in college, I remember going to the now closed center for choice for the 40 days for life. And, um, the woman who organized the 40 days for life, um, was speaking to me afterwards and she said, what you're going to do as a priest is the same thing that I'm doing out here, because really, this is all not about changing laws, but changing hearts. Yeah. So in that sense, you could say that everything that I preach, everything that any pastor ought to be preaching um, is indirectly pro-life. Um because really the pro-life movement is about the conversion of hearts. There are a few people that will um, argue that abortion is murder and that's okay. Hmm. So no one thinks that a Holocaust is okay. The debate is, is abortion murder? Yeah. Is it a Holocaust? The people who are supporting abortion aren't saying, yeah, this is a Holocaust and we're all for it. Right. Right. That's not the issue. There's no, um, there's no one in my pews who's going to say, um, killing innocent children is a good thing. There are statistically speaking people in my pews who would argue abortion is a good thing. So it's not just about, um, uh, as cut and dry as this whole Holocaust thing sure. it's about the definition of words mm -hmm. and which is a complicated thing um, because ultimately it's about the conversion of hearts because it's about looking at my own life when I don't want to accept something as true. Um, sometimes it's because I can't reason myself there. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's because there's something personal in my life or in the lives of the ones that I love that's keeping me from getting there because I'm going to have to confront some stuff. Oh my gosh. That's so well put. And because so many people around me believe this way. And if I change right. my opinion, Absolutely. Now, what does that say about me? Well, and the fact that it's about conversion of hearts, which is so dead on, um, the, the reality is that people are, that are pro choice by and large, are good people that are confused. They are people that are, are pro-choice because of compassion. They are seeing themselves as being compassionate towards the women that are in those situations and whatever. So in their minds, they're not committing a, a sin that is something that they acknowledge as a sin. They think the church is wrong about this. The real compassion is found in this. And so when we're talking about saying real compassion is acknowledging the personhood of that person that is being killed, that is such a difficult change of heart because a lot of times, like for me, when I had my change of heart, like a real serious change of heart and conversion to truth and beauty in, in the context of the Catholic Church, 
that was me stepping away from stuff that I knew ultimately internally was not the right way to see things. I knew ultimately that all I found in the way that I was living was darkness and sadness. And I knew that any actions, any sins that I was a part of were sins. Like I knew I was doing stuff I wasn't supposed to be doing, but we're talking about people who think that they're standing up and defending women. Right. One of the, I, I don't want to make that just to clarify before rock goes, <laughs> which I want you to speak. However, yes. I don't want that to make it seem like that's an excuse for clergy not to preach about these issues and the issue of abortion mm-hmm. specifically. Um, I just think it's important that you see that the indirect approach um, yeah, is just as important because it's not my words that change people's minds. It's the grace of God that changed people's hearts. Mm-hmm. So it's all connected, but it's also important um, for clergy to speak up about issues of justice mm-hmm. um, and to be explicit about it and um, to name it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most important things um in confession, right, when we're talking about this whole dynamic of sin and evil, the reason why Christ gave us the sacrament of confession is because it is important that we name evil. Yes. Not just say, you know, some things are bad and I'm not doing too well. Mm-hmm. Please forgive me. It's important that we name evil. Mm-hmm. So that's important for preachers to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, right alongside of the whole indirect, it's all about the conversion of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't presume Though sometimes I do, I have to catch myself in this, that things that are very familiar and obvious to me are familiar and obvious to other people. So I have spoken about so many issues so many times that in my mind, even unconsciously, I can say, well, how can anybody not know what the church thinks about X, Y, or Z anymore? I've talked about abortion so many times. I've talked about chastity so many times. I've talked about this. But still people will come to me with complete misunderstandings or they didn't hear it this way or no one, they didn't have a preacher who spoke to them in that way. And so there is a danger that I've experienced in my own life in assuming, um, what other people know and understand to be true and what's taught by the church. Which so, is why we try to take a drink every time John Mark says a panoply. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I think one of the most important things in this too, is that we understand where other people are coming from in a sense, oftentimes it's great compassion mm-hmm. or compassion. You know, we, it's hard to judge, exactly. you know, why a pro choice person would feel that way, you know, and it's not our position to do so, to, to recognize, you know, you know, they're looking at the situation wrongly is one thing, but to presume or to talk to them in such a way that, you know, they're just or wholly wrong. They're not pursuing compassion mm-hmm. and care for other people, I think is a detriment to, you know, us, the pro-life movement, people, you know, the unborn. Yeah, it's not understanding the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are people who, you know, are not there. Um, but by and large, I think a large part of the confusion is, you know, compassion sought wrongly. So I would just add this two two final thoughts for me, I guess, is one, you know, if you look back at slavery, you know, to solve that huge issue for our country, there were people out there trying to change minds and hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the country was so polarized, there had to be a great civil war over this. And certainly this issue, the difficulty or the challenge here is there's such a polarity here that there's a great challenge. And we've been trying to change hearts and minds for 50 years as a church. And so we have to recognize the importance of the law and how that helps form people's conscience in this mind. I mean, at the end of the day, it wasn't just in slavery about changing hearts and minds of the slave owners because some of those hearts and minds, they weren't going to be changed. And they still and, aren't some of them yeah, to this there's, day. There's still this, this implicit bias sometimes and racism that, that we're still dealing with in this nation. Right. So it's so important that, that we also focus on the legality of this mm-hmm. because the legality uh, will protect human persons, which is the very foundational meaning and purpose of the government. But to go back to Rob's point, um, you know, when we talk about this issue, we have to love people into the truth mm-hmm. and recognize that the prime principle of all Catholic social teaching is the dignity of the human person. So when we're talking about the dignity of the unborn child, the dignity of the woman facing an unplanned pregnancy, we also have to remember our own dignity, how we're made in the image and likeness of God, and how that person across from us 
with whom we disagree is also made in the image and likeness of God. And to be pro-life is how we love them into the truth, especially on this issue of abortion. That's beautiful, Peter. Thank you so much for that beautiful bow on this topic. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the men's show. Uh, Thank you so much for sticking with us. If you have any uh, questions about this topic um, or, I don't know anything. Pete, how do they reach you? This is the guy like this is this is in many ways the authority on this topic, uh, at least in Northwest Ohio in a technical sense. Um, so, Pete, how do they reach you? I encourage you to go to 40 days for slash Toledo on that website has all our events. I think we just saved the world. Um, so on this note, but much more that could be said. There's no, obviously. That. Yeah, we're, we're actually wrapping up because one of us has to go. Um, thank you so much for hanging out. And if you are interested in uh, checking out more stuff, Stuff like this want to encourage you to check out our last episode and next week's episode uh, and all of our episodes and uh, if you want to help be part of the reason this is all possible then you can join the awaken nation the awaken nation is just a group of people that um, whether it's in a recurring or one-time way support us financially and it can be done for as cheap as the price of a cup of coffee any gift is super appreciated and then you can also download the hallow app it's a beautiful catholic meditation and prayer app and you if you get through our website you get one month free of the premium subscription which is super worth it i literally have been using the premium subscription myself uh, for about half a year now and i use it every single day and i love it and i'm better for it jesus and i are way more simpatico now than we were before um i used the hallow app so one free month of the subscription (laughs) come on guys you know know what simpatico means they just want to drink i think that's all it is I'm just looking for an excuse to drink. Anyways, thanks so much for sticking with us today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, And yeah, we'll be here next week. God bless. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app/awaken.